Open your Bibles, New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. I, I've been gone a while, and it seems a little uh, different walking into pulpit. I kind of get out of the rhythm, but I, I, uh, I'm glad to be back. God bless you for your faithfulness to the house of God. As I watch this generation and what happens in our world today, I don't have to tell you there's a lot of turmoil in all the things that we are experiencing even in our own nation. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a revival across this world. Amen. We need to know about our God in a different way than this, I think this age knows. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's an epistle of Paul the Apostle. He's writing to believers of which we are that number. How many of you are in the household of faith? How many of you are glad to be in the household of faith? I want to, want to talk to you about what, what motivates us today. I watch all the political pundits and I watch them. I know what motivates them. I watch people in the financial world. I know what motivates them. It's important that we have a motivation. An element that, the greatest element that makes life valuable. One of the greatest things that motivates our innermost being and one of the things that makes life an adventure rather than a drudge is a thing called having a cause. Having a cause much bigger than yourself. Having a cause that consumes you where you know that you can pour yourself into it. Having a cause that motivates and stimulates the best in you. And it is important to have that kind of a cause, a motivation. I want to talk about that in a minute. Just before I do, I want to say thank you, Josh. Thank you, Pastor John. He's on guard this weekend. Military, he and Dave. Thank all of you. Brother Gary, who was in the pulpit for me during my absence, I did not want to eliminate saying thank you. A cause is important. It gives you reason to live. And young people, I want you to hear this especially this morning because our world is filled with a picture that I trust you'll get in your mind when I talk about this. A life that is filled with self in the end is extremely a limited life. It may look good for a while, but it ends always in disaster. A life that is filled with self chokes out the potential actually for genuine greatness. A life that is filled with self limits what we are designed to be and what God had designed us and destined us to be. If you live for yourself and not for the will of God, you will miss the mark by a great measure. The greatest privilege on earth is to be born again and to live your life in the will of God the Father within the confines of this holy word. Amen belongs there. Thank you. Paul had a cause that drove him. I'm going to read a text in just a moment. And the first text I read is about his prior to salvation or his conversion. He was named Saul. And he was motivated by that. It was called self-righteousness. Paul tried to do the letter of the law. He did everything that he could to try to merit himself. He was caught up in a self-righteous pursuit. Young people, mom and dad, hear me. I don't care how popular a singer or a star or a Hollywood professor, I, whatever they profess, 
I don't care how successful they may seem monetarily, monetarily or in fame and fortune. Eventually, if you're living a self-righteous, self-centered life, there is a ruin in it. There is a blindness in self-centeredness. There is a deceit in self-righteousness that eventually destroys. I want to say it like this. Life without God never has and it never will turn out right. Paul was caught up in an outward ceremony. He got caught up in earthly values. One of the most educated men of his day, he studied under Gamaliel. He was a politician. Dirty politics aren't anything new today. Paul was caught up in it back in these centuries ago. He was caught up also in religion, a human belief system. And Paul in Philippians exhorts the twice-born men and women, the genuine people of God, about living with humility. He talked about the fact that Christ humbled himself. He talked about the humility of Timothy and of Epaphroditus who were young men under his ministry. Paul warns in Philippians 3 the genuine believer about confidence in the flesh. In the flesh. Paul was caught up in rituals, in ceremonies. He was caught up in what it was right breeding, if you will. His family were hierarchy, wealthy people. He was caught up in political advancement. All that Paul was caught up in was about himself and what he could attain. And when he came to Christ, and his name was changed from Saul to Paul, follow me in chapter 3, verse 4, and let's read what Paul says about it. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised, now he's given his lawful, self-righteous credentials. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Paul said, I dotted every I, I crossed every T, I was so righteous, I was the picture of perfection. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Paul said, I kept it to the nth degree. I'm blameless. But what things were gained to me, in a sense, he says then, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. These are powerful words about what motivates us and who's at the center of our lives. It is an amazing thing. Paul says, trusting in self-righteousness. The idea is this. If I'm good, I win God and I make heaven, it's okay. If I'm bad, I lose out. That's all based on the concept of trust in self and what I can do for myself. It all boils down to self-centeredness, self-righteousness. Today, even in Christian circles, people still do that. It sounds like this. I believe in God. I'm a Christian. I go to church occasionally. I even give to charity sometimes. And here's one I've heard many times. I treat people as good as they treat me. 
And so we, we can become self-righteous. Well, I'm not near as bad as so-and-so. I don't do what he or she does. Yet, ladies and gentlemen, they're critical. They're miserable. There's very little, if any, genuine peace at all in their hearts. There's very little joy. There's very little to look forward to in life because we miss the rudimentary thing about being a Christian. Paul said, I put all that, all my political gains, all the wealth, all the fame, all the education, all of the social standing. I put being popular. I put being in the in crowd. I put all that in one scale. And he said, it's rubbish. It's garbage. I, those things I used to trust in, now I count as loss. Then with me in verse 9, I want you to look at what he, when he changed the different concept of following true righteousness rather than self-righteousness. Verse 9. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Notice these powerful moving words. That I may know Him. That I may know Him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, this is my credentials now. This is what I know is valuable. Verse 12 and 13, we know I want to rehearse them. Paul said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That means that's the purpose of my life. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do. Notice this. I, for, forgetting those things which are behind me, I want to stop and say, stop letting Satan keep you imprisoned in your past. If you're a Christian, put it behind you. And don't let Satan keep you imprisoned in anything of your past. But that's only half of the verse. It goes on to say, reaching for those things which are ahead. The Christian is not supposed to let Satan keep them imprisoned in the mistakes of the past. They're to look forward in what they become in God Himself. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, be thus minded. Ladies and gentlemen, what motivates us, our value system, is what we become. It is important that you and I have a cause that is bigger than us, that drives us, because in this day, there is a dividing going on between the wheat and the snares. And I'm telling you, I believe we're on the precipice of the return of Christ. So it's important what motivates us. Paul said, I don't want to trust in self or the law, any attainments that I may make, anything that I may gain. These are all externals. Paul said that now that I'm twice born and I see things as they really are and I understand the genuine values, I don't want to trust in self. I want to be in Christ. I want to be in Christ through His grace. And I want to absolutely understand and declare that I am 100% dependent upon God's Son. Jesus Christ. 
Paul took all the robes of self and flesh and put them off. I hear so much boasting in ministry today. I've won this many. I'm this powerful. I have these credentials. I see people who are self-important all over this globe. Paul said, I put all those robes off and I put on one robe. It's a robe of righteousness that was given to me. He said this, I put on a new robe of righteousness and it's in Christ alone. And he said, He paid it for me. He gave it to me. Now my faith is in His work. My faith is in His ability. And my faith is in His righteousness in Christ alone. Ladies and gentlemen, with that as a context, that is my introduction. I want to talk about the four things that motivated Paul that should motivate us today. The four important things to teach your children. What motivates them. The the thing that is so important in life. The motivation, the cause. Before I give you those four points, Paul has a heading. These are all, first of all, based on this. To know Christ. I want you to know that word know is not just speaking about salvation. It is not just having a concept or a thought. Yeah, I know there's a God and He has a Son, Jesus. It is an experience. It is a deep personal knowledge. It is a deep personal relationship. And let me tell you, when you know God and you have a relationship with God, it changes how you live. Say amen. It does not make you compatible with this world. As a matter of fact, we'll talk in a minute, it makes you an enemy to this world. I want to give you an example about personal experience in a relationship. When I was 15, I went to youth camp and I was, had a hat on like Henry has and I was playing a guitar and we were singing on the platform, four or five guys, and there were some... People went out sitting in the old open-air tabernacle. One of them was among two or three girls, and it happened to be Nina. You know her as Nina. I know her as Linda. And I saw her, and I just went, wow, I like that girl. I mean, this is, this is it. Uh, it was unbelievable. I was 15. But let me ask you something. When I met her, or when I saw her, I didn't ask a friend this question. I tell you what, buddy, would you go over there and get to know her for me? I didn't do that. I didn't do that at all. I, and, and if the report was good, you got to know her, you good. I didn't say to her, would you go date her for me? What, what, what kind of dumb deal is that? But we think that way in our world. And if I got a good report, I didn't go to him and say, well, things are going so good, would you go get engaged to her for me? You say, Pastor, that's absurd. See, let me tell you, this is someone I wanted to know. This is someone I wanted to know for myself. I wanted a personal experience. And lucky for me, four years later, she said, I do, and you did. And I'm a fortunate man. 49 years. How is that possible when you're only 40? I don't know. And Paul is saying, Personally, personally, I know him. What's important to me is that I know him. And Paul is not just talking about the past. He's talking about now. And he said, I know him. His whole life had changed. I want to get this concept over to us, ladies and gentlemen, in this late hour. Salvation is an absolute total change of your life. 
You don't add salvation terms to the life you live. You're a new creature. You don't want the things you wanted. You're a total new being. But let's talk about this cause and motivation for us today. To be in Him. And Paul said in Him in this way. First of all, in the power of His resurrection. And we get a wrong concept of that, I'm afraid. Let me tell you about this scripture. Mom, dad, young people, when we repent... When we come to Christ, when we make a faith commitment to Jesus Christ, we are united with Christ. He's no longer some son of God in some foreign distant place. By His Spirit, He comes and dwells in us. And He says, by the power of His resurrection, watch this. The suffering and the death and resurrection tell us the story of the life of Jesus. He suffered. He died. He resurrected. But knowing Christ... Knowing Christ, I'm talking about today, now knowing Christ is not knowing suffering or death or resurrection as episodes of history in the gospel. The suffering and death and resurrection in a, of Christ in a knowing Him relationship, it is this, it is knowing these dimensions of Christ's life as present, active Forces in our lives. And Paul began this with this power of his resurrection. It's really in reference far more not to his resurrection from the dead, but resurrection from coming through this world. Listen to it. It means because he has resurrected because He triumphed over death, because He lived and understood and yet lived perfect in all this world system of death that Satan tried to put upon Him in all manner was tempted like we are. It simply means this. He was resurrected above it all. It means I, you, and me can rise to a life of new creation. And you and I can live above the tainted dullness of no hope. We can live above the deadness of self-absorption. We can live above the deadness of dead works. We can live Christ-like. Because of His resurrection, this world is not my home. And I'm not talking about the eternal. I'm talking about now, in the present. We, I, ladies and gentlemen, I hear it all the time. Well, I just couldn't help myself. That's not true. If you're a twice-born man or woman or young person, you can't help yourself because the Scripture, Paul said in another epistle, we have been given all things, all that we need so that we might measure up so we have a holy and a high and a powerful spirit living in us that we literally have no excuses for disobedience. And we try to self-rationalize it. And we try to do that sometimes to make ourselves look good. Or we do everything we can to try to ignore it. But the scripture says, He has given us all things where we can be in His resurrected life and live above this world. I know that go over like a pork chop in a synagogue. But ladies and gentlemen, God has given us power to live the Christian life. Not just talk it, but to live it. Secondly, he said this, that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering. The word suffering connotates to us a negative concept, and it is true. However, 
Sometimes, and you've seen it, I've seen it, we take people, and how many of you know that we've all wanted to be stroked sometime in our life? How many of you want to say, somebody, poor you? Come on. How many of you ever felt sorry for yourself? You ever felt sorry for somebody else? Have you ever needed some sympathy? Yeah, I think we have. I think we all know that. That's part of being human beings. But we've also, I've seen people who use that also for martyrdom. How many of you know that can be carried too far out of balance? Poor me. And to be sure, I don't want to make light of it. Physical pain is it, tough. Physical suffering, it's, it's very undesirable. However, let me say this. Pain of the heart, pain in the center of the inmost being can be much more difficult. Some of the greatest pains we'll ever deal with is not physical some of the greatest pains we ever deal with is in relationships. Notice Paul said the word fellowship. In the, in the Greek, it's koinonia. It means that I may know Him. It means deep fellowship, deep communion, partnership, friendship. Friendship. How many in this room have ever been misunderstood? How many of you know it's painful to be misunderstood? It hurts to be misunderstood. And how many in this room have ever been falsely accused? It, it, is, it is painful to be falsely accused. How many of you have ever been through the pain of knowing something went wrong in a relationship and you try and you try and you've tried with great effort to try to repair it, but you just can't change that set mind and you can't heal it? Ladies and gentlemen, that is painful. But I want to tell you something. When we come to Christ and our value system changes, I want you to hear this, young people. This is why it should motivate us. This world disdains in us that which the enemy blinds their understanding to. This world does not understand a genuine twice-born young person or man or woman because our value system is totally changed. Our value system is totally different. And Jesus said, they will reject you as they rejected me. And yet, our world is bent. Our whole society is bent on being accepted. That's our whole demeanor. And I don't mean we ought to be recluses, and I don't mean that. I'm just saying our value system. Young people, parents, we're called to be an example. You and I are commanded to be witnesses. We are expected by God to live this life. Yes, we may know suffering and rejection. We may know ridicule. We may experience being misunderstood. We may be falsely accused. But here's what Paul is saying, that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering and his death and his resurrection. Here's what Paul is saying. There is a value involved when you totally know Jesus and you suffer for him. There is in the midst of that a reward that is far more worth Worthy. And you get rewarded in the midst of the suffering. That is this. To know Him, I am with Him. He is with me. And even in suffering outwardly, I may not be popular at school. Perhaps I'm ridiculed at the office. Perhaps there's all these kind of pains in our relationships. Yet fellowship 
with God and suffering has its reward. I want to tell you something. It drove Paul. And it drives me. Paul was one of the most powerful politicians running for a seat in the Sanhedrin. He was one of the most educated people I mentioned before. Paul was a powerful, popular man running in that high seat which would be equal to our Congress. And I want you to know dirty politics isn't anything new. Saul, as he was known then, accused his competitor in politics of blasphemy and had him stoned. Read the scripture. After they stoned Stephen, they piled his clothes, bloody clothes, at the feet of a certain young man. If you want to know who it was, it was Saul who became Paul. Our world's nothing new, but what we what motivates us tells us what we are. It tells us what we are. And Paul, beaten thrice, shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned, went through all that, and he said, I, I, there's a reward in all that that is far beyond the pain. To know him in that measure. Thirdly, he said, to know him and be conformed to his death. Watch this. In Galatians, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. What, what, what drove Paul like that? Here's what drove Paul. Here's what we see little of, I think, today in Christianity. Because we, we, want, we want all the benefits of the Scripture, but we don't, have to, we don't want to have to obey anything to receive it. Here it is. He, here's Paul. What drove Paul? He continually died to his old self, and he continually progressed toward the image of Christ every day. I'm going to put that in simple terms. You and I are called to be a better Christian today than we were yesterday. We're called, we're commanded to be a better Christian today than we were yesterday. And he was trying to be more like Christ, the image of Christ, absolute perfection. The image of Christ lacking in nothing. No insecurity here. No inferiority here. No throwback to the struggling to the flesh. A complete being, the express image of God Himself. And young people, mom and dad, grandparents, that is what God has designed for each one of us, the express image of Christ. That is what Christ destined us for. That is what the Holy Spirit in Him empowers us for. Death to the old us, raised to a new life every day. That's what He's talking about, conformed to His death. Jesus was dead to this world. And so are we to be. Fourthly, he said that I may know him in the resurrection of the dead. There's so much meaning here. There's so much more than just the resurrection of the body. Paul doesn't stop with what matters, ladies and gentlemen, however, in this life. I want to declare to you something. Christ is the only means. He's the only God. The only means by which knowing him goes beyond death. I want to tell you a little story, and I'll be through. This is a true story. Happened about 25 years ago or so. It's about a little boy named Philip. Philip was born with Down syndrome. Philip was pleasant, 
happy, delightful, simple child. As he grew older, he became aware of the difference between him and other children. One day, a Sunday school teacher wanted to be creative with the eight other students in the class. They were all eight years old, nine of them, eight plus Philip. She watched them through the two years she had them in class and watched some strained moments. But the teacher, on the Sunday following Easter, took an item that some of you may have never heard of. But 25, 30 years ago, they used to pack ladies' pantyhose in a thing that looked like an egg, and it was called legs. How many of you know what that is? Young people, have you never heard of legs? They're what is attached to the bottom of your, top of your feet. No. They manufactured ladies' pantyhose, and they were put in big eggs, and they were called legs. Right? Good, because I'm trying to make sure my memory's correct. I haven't seen them in a long time. Don't know if they still make them, do they? Do they? I don't know. This, this teacher, creative teacher, took these legs, eggs, and she gave each child one, and she instructed them. She said, I want you to go outside, outside the classroom, find a symbol for new life like we talked about last Sunday, and put something of a symbol in that egg and bring it back into the classroom. Back in class, she mixed them all up so nobody would know who's, which egg was which. She opened them up one at a time, and it was delightful. The kids with glee, they just oohed and awed. And the first one she opened had a beautiful flower in it. And they were, oh, wow. You know how eight-year-old kids are? You know how 80-year-old kids are? She opened the second one, and a butterfly came out and flew into the classroom. And they were just, oh, awesome. Representing life. They opened the third one, had a ladybug in it. And they were, oh yeah, and they, you know how they let it crawl across the fingers. She opened the fourth egg. It had a little rock in it. And the kids were all, what, what, what is that? How does a rock represent life? And one little boy, getting his feelings kind of hurt, he said, that's mine. And the teacher said, explain why you put a rock to represent life. And he said, I wanted to be different. Sometimes a change can make a new life. Sometimes people, children can teach us some things. I just want to tell you something. Change is a part of life. And if you're through with change, let me declare you're through. Let me say this. All you ladies who move the furniture in the house... And the guy comes in late at 2 o'clock in the morning like I do sometimes. You need to call him and tell him because sometimes changing things can hurt. You can wind up crashing all over the furniture and on the floor. I've done it two or three times. My wife moves furniture all the time. Sometimes a change can bring new life. The fifth egg was opened and there was nothing inside of it. And one of the kids said, that's not fair. Another child said, that's stupid. We were supposed to put something in it that represented life. And somebody said, you didn't do it right. Somebody didn't do it right. 
And Philip said, that's mine. And one of the boys yelled out to Philip, you don't ever do anything right. There's nothing in there. And Philip said, I did too do it right. It's empty. The tomb is empty. And that class went silent. Total silent. About a year later, Philip died. And at Philip's memorial service, now eight remaining nine-year-olds brought to his casket and placed in it eight eggs empty. Eight old discarded pantyhose containers empty because it represents new life. Paul said, if by all means I attain to the resurrection. Paul was not expressing doubt. If by all means I may attain, it is, it is his longing. I'm longing. But his attainment was no longer about self-achievement. It was a motivation factor. It was a cause that was greater than him. It was something much bigger than him. It had gripped him so much. It was his purpose in life. And it was a gift from God. I attended Janice Perryman's father's funeral on Friday in Haskell, Oklahoma. And I thought about this while I was going to preach this today. I love the word attained and I made myself a promise. I'm going to preach a message, a memorial service for someone someday on that I might attain. I can tell you're not impressed. <laughs> I want to tell you something. These four things I mentioned form for the apostle and form for us a cause. I want to ask you something. What cause? What cause is driving you? What cause? What cause is forming your value system? What cause forms what's important in how you live in your life? What cause motivates you? We need a cause that will motivate us, a cause that will consume us, a cause that will cultivate, ladies and gentlemen, in an eternal reward in a kingdom. Church, on our bulletin every Sunday, our mission statement ends with a mission to reach the unreached of our city and beyond. Our generation, 2018, our commission is this, to take the message to know Christ. And if you genuinely know Christ, what will motivate you is this, to be known to know Him in the power of His resurrection, totally new life, fellowship of His suffering, it is worth whatever it costs us. Conform to His death and His image. Each day I take up the cross and die to myself. And lastly attain to the resurrection of eternity. With Paul the Apostle, may we all come to an agreement this morning and say, I press toward the mark of the high calling, the upward calling of 
Christ Jesus. I'm constantly in counseling with people who cannot get over their past. I want to tell you, Satan is a master at always bringing up the past and keeping you ensnared and imprisoned. I tell you what, let's do this morning. How many of us will just admit, because every one of us deal with it, Satan keeps trying to pull you backwards sometime and try to devalue because of something you've done in your past. Let me see every hand in this building. Something you've done in your past. Satan keeps trying to pull you back. I want to declare to you something. That is not your value. That is not your value. Let the cause of our salvation be such a motivating factor to us that we agree with Paul, Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, I press forward to the high calling of Christ Jesus and let that motivate us. Satan, yes, you're right, but it's not what I used to be. It's not what I've done. It's what I am and what I'm going to do and what I'm going to be. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a cause that you can use the rest of your life. If we're going to clap, let's clap. Let's do that. Praise His name. I have to die daily. There's a reward in what it costs me. But I want to be in the presence of our Lord.